For October 19th, 2020, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 642, One Photon of Daylight. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are hanging out together and talking about the things we like, or as in the case of last week, the things that we hate. Uh, I'm Matt Rather, and I'm uh, joined by my smart, funny friends. First, Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hey, Matt. It was such a pleasure, Pete, to talk about it with you last week about uh, on the Quibblecast about <laughs> things that we dislike and quibble with. Yes, it, you really seem to achieve some catharsis involving time zones and clocks. Oh, my God. I actually, I, te- I tweeted after this because I got another damn, you know, email from someone trying to schedule a meeting that's like, can you meet with us? And and they even did. They even did. This was, can you meet with us at, uh, at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which for us is 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. And it was like, <laughs> ah! And so I, uh, I tweeted a tweet, which I'll quote in the, in the show notes which are that people who quote standard time during daylight saving time are history's greatest monsters. So it was good. I really did achieve a lot of catharsis. Thanks, Pete. And hey, we're joined again uh, back with us uh, after some uh, some time away by Mark Lee. Hey, Mark. Hey, you know, you guys really reminded me of that uh, one of the many throwaway family guy cutaways, which was Peter Griffin's grind like year segment. Do you, know, you guys remember this? He would basically say, you know, everybody grinds my gears. What? And he would, he would <laughs> rattle off various quibbles. Oh, yes. Um, so it, it did seem in the spirit of that. I remember Family Guy. Remember that show was good, like in the, in the, in the aughts. Um, was it? it? It had its moments. <laughs> it had its many moments. Yeah, got it. Um, sure, absolutely. The the that's that's one like South Park where it's like, would it really sustain? Would the kind of like I feel like what's his name Seth Seth Mc McDonald had a farm. Yeah, no Seth McFarlane. Uh, I feel like he's softened over the years, hasn't he? Yeah, I, that's fair. I think you know, that's fair to say. And I, yeah. I, I sort of wonder. Nowhere if, is that clearer than in the Orville. Right, exactly. Which is actually kind of sweet, like which is very sincere, you know, has some like fart kind of humor, Um, you know, uh, has Norm MacDonald. Oh, that's where I was thinking that I was I was conflating Seth, Seth, uh, Seth MacDonald and Norm McFarlane in my head. That was the that was the problem. Yeah. yeah, but has a like a sort of a, a heart of gold. Norm has gone the other way, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's gotten sort of pricklier and a little more fringe in his yeah. in his old age. Um, hey, uh, but uh, it was great that uh, unlike us, because we we quibbled, Pete, we had some quibbles. Mark, did you listen to the quibble cast? I did, and I got some quibbles with the quibbles. Ooh. Oh no! Um, well, first of which being that um, your quibble about. Uh, uh, people incorrectly saying daylight savings time instead of saving uh-huh. time, right? I mean, I, I know you, Matt. I know you are an insufferable pedant, and I know why that quibble that that bothers you. Um, but it is a distinction, really, without a difference, right? Um, because like the the it, like having a plural of saving being savings. But I mean, like, well, it makes a lot of sense, right? Because there's a lot of daylight that you are saving. Huh. It's not just one, like, you know, um, photon of daylight. So therefore, you are saving uh, your your. It is daylight savings. Time and that it feels totally natural, uh, and it is no way compromises the integrity of uh, very strict 
time zone demarcations that you are such an advocate for. Um, but that's just one of the quibbles. The other quibble was being that, uh, hey, he's kind of a bit of a downer, guys. You know? Yeah. Oh, no. Hey, uh, you know, this, this is a bit tough times here. I know you got to blow up some steam here, but um, I, I thought that we might want to kind of just, you know, uh, help restore the moral and um, an attitudinal equilibrium of the universe, or at least a little universe that listens to our podcast, and uh, and try to do the opposite of the quibble cast. Right, kind of put with the, like the little things that really, in the grand scheme of things, are insignificant, but just like give you a a little modicum of joy to maybe offset some of those quibbles that you have. So that was my idea. What right, do you think, let's, guys? Let's do it. Why don't you? Why don't you kick us off? Why don't you on on the uh, on the the kudos cast? Is it kudos though? When I say kudos, it's me like like congratulations or like thank yous. But that's not really what we're going for here, is it? No, that's that's I'm, true. Am, yeah. I, am I quibbling with? Um, I'm 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 quibbling. You're, qui- you're quibbling. I I'm think it's over the well, kudos. it's a Greek word. I th- it's kudos or something like that, and it it I think it means praise. But yeah, so uh, so mm. uh, let's. Okay. Uh, right, I buy that. You know. But let's do it, Mark. What's what's the good cast? The what's the yeah. the we're in the good place here. <laughs> what is the good cast? Yeah, well, see, like, I wouldn't say the good place, right? Just by the way, it's on Netflix, and I'm finally getting around to watching the final thing here, and it provides immense joy. It is like this, you know, really got a great piece of work, and um, it delivers a ton of value. But that's not what we're here to talk about here, right? Right? No, not that. No, I'm here to talk. You can can talk uh, about the good place if you want. It's one of your good things. It's uh, it feels too big. It feels too big. Let's start small, okay? Okay. I'm gonna go with uh, a shoehorn, like. The finding that shoehorn when you really need it. Oh, by, by, wow. need, by, by need, I mean like uh, really uh, somewhat conveniently desire to have it. Okay. Just a little bit of background here, right? You know, the, the, this, I, I have an Asian, I run an Asian household, a very strict Asian household according to all Confucian norms. Um, <laughs> most importantly of which is taking off your shoes um, before you enter it means that, um, you know, you got to, well, you got to put them back on uh, when you're heading out the door because you took them off uh, when, when you came in. And uh, if you're wearing that particular type of shoe that you can't just kind of, you know, wedge in, right, um, and uh, God forbid you got to unlace them or sit down and, like, stick your finger in and jam it in like some kind of animal, right? Like, if, if, if the shoehorn is right there, and then you jam it in, and then you shimmy, 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 and then you feel like, ah, oh, I saved, like, a solid 10 seconds, maybe even, like, 30, upwards of 30, uh, I'm always getting out the door. And that, I think, is like the right sort of small pleasure and convenience um, to start things off here. Mark, do you, have a, do you have a long shoehorn or is it is it the like the eight inch model or do you have one that has like the, the stick on the end so that you can we stand merely upright? Have, we merely have um, the, this being an Asian American household, to be uh-huh. clear, we, we, we only have the short one here. But uh, when we visit my uh, my in-laws, uh, my extended family in Taiwan, right, the real deal. There, they have the full length. Uh, I know what you're getting for Christmas. That, uh, <laughs> what a Taiwanese passport! Took us to Taiwan. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. That's very much appreciated. You know, they have no coronavirus there. It's really great. <laughs> that's not that. That is not a kudo. That that is well beyond the scope of this, <laughs> right? You know, absence of coronavirus. No, 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 no. We're not here to talk about that. Ah, well, shoe shoehorn, absolutely. I I definitely step on the backs of my shoes. I I don't untie and retie them very often because I'm a monster, and so I definitely step on the backs of my shoes a great deal and uh, cause I probably some damage to them or they don't last as long as they do. So I should get with that. I should get a shoehorn. It would be a great 
a great joy to my life to have one. Uh, Pete, you're next in the in the round robin. What will give us some modicum of joy and pleasure in in these unprecedented registered trademark times? Well, what I was thinking about with Mark, first of all, was that isn't it so great when things just work for the thing that they're designed for? Exactly. And you, yeah, yes. and you didn't know. You might not know that a shoehorn is really, really good at being a shoehorn because you sometimes expect things to be bad at the thing that they were designed for, right? Uh, but, you know, a rake is really good at raking leaves more than you would think, right? Uh, these kinds of things can be surprising sometimes. But I would like to give a little modicum of praise, of course, to the best show on television, which uh, for, you know, for however many 25 seasons running has been Guy's Grocery Guys, Games. Guy's uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like to give some sh- shout out to the modifications that Guy's Grocery Games has made to be able to continue to make episodes during COVID lockdown and quarantine and social distancing measures, because they are being endeavored upon with a, a, uh, I don't want to say a shamelessness, but it it has a real English class the day after you didn't read the book vibe to it, which I believe as the kids would say, I am totally there for. Uh, so, So here are the modifications, which I like that have been made to Guy's Grocery Games because, of course, for those of you unfamiliar, this is a game show uh, among chefs that takes place in a grocery store where everybody uh, shops at the grocery store and then cooks, and Guy Fieri acts as a petty tyrant who arbitrarily changes the rules or presents quixotic challenges or, uh, or restrictions to the, to the chefs as they cook their meals. And, uh, and, of course, first thing is you can't be in a grocery store anymore, right? They're not going to put the 40 or 50 people or however many it takes to film this thing all in one enclosed space in California, right, for however long it is takes them for film the episodes, which I think is hours and hours and hours. I think it's one of those shows where they film a bunch at a go. And so you would just be in an enclosed space with a whole bunch of people with no masks for a really long time, and it's just not feasible. So instead, they've turned it into a, del- a food delivery game. And instead of using contestants who are sort of from all over the country and have kind of applied to be on the show or wanted to be on the show, they pretty much only have contestants who are part of the sort of extended judging core, which is the sort of Guy Fieri extended universe of people. They're sort of Guy Fieri has a posse at this point, which is like a couple dozen people uh, who have either been on diners, drive-ins and dives multiple times or have gone from Diners and Drive-Ins and Dives to appearing on Guy's Grocery Games. Uh, I don't think there's anybody from the old Minute to Win It days. But it's it's there's also Guy's uh, Kitchen and Ranch, or Ranch Kitchen. So it's he's got basically three shows where he uses a lot of the same people across the three shows. And so those people end up being the contestants. They each receive giant boxes of food you know, on their doorstep, like you might get from a grocery store delivery, right? And then... It's all, of course, via. It's probably the show that I've seen that's gained the most from being done over like Skype or Zoom or the equivalent, because because the, the notion that Guy Fieri is on your iPad telling you to make you know a five star dinner from a bunch of spam is uh, it just feels right, right? It feels of the moment. It feels like if somebody in the future wants to know what it was like to uh, be in the situation now and not in, to be one of the people who's really in very very dire suffering due to a very present and urgent and immediate problem, but the people who are more like, oh my God, I'm caught in my house. I don't know what to do. The normal things in my life don't really make sense. Uh, And that's the sort of most of the extent of what you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis because of your relative uh, luckiness and fortune in the midst of all this. Uh, The notion that there is a game show in which Guy Fieri uh, 
gives people arbitrary cooking challenges over Zoom, and in which they sort of struggle to do based on things that they find in a box. Uh, other other little things, uh, when you do it, here's the other thing. You cook food, right? The judges are also teleconferencing in, and the judges don't get to eat the food. So you have to describe, you have to eat the food in front of the camera and describe to the judge what you think the food that you made tastes like, right? Uh, and you show them it, and you sort of explain why you did it in the context of the constraints, which might be, oh, you know, I could only use the things that were in the box, or I could only use four ingredients, or, you know, I could only, I could use one thing from my house, right? Uh, I can only use $20 worth of stuff, uh, all sorts of stuff like that. And, uh, and then they will judge your food based on, I guess, their assumptions about what it might taste like were they to eat it. And also on both, I guess, not strictly your description of it, but the thing that what they, you managed to convince them about your food based on your description of it, and then also on how it looks. Um, and so it's a cooking show. It's a cooking contest where nobody eats the food that they're judging. And and but they just but they they hit it. The judges hit the stride. Right. They just they they talk about it as if they were talking about any of the other many episodes in the 25 seasons that exist of Guys First Three Games, right? It's like, you know, I really love what you did with the vinegar because that's really going to add that note of acid that's going to pull it all together. And when you've got something as salty as canned beans, I mean, you really have to have something with some brightness and freshness. And so with the constraint, you know, I'm glad that you decided to wash off the canned spinach before you used it, right? And it's like, it's they've done it so many times that there's this element of kind of memory and familiarity to it. Uh, and it's just, it's so, it's so much like an effort, right? It's like they're trying, they're really trying because it's it's like, there's not an option to not make a 25th season of Guys Grocery Games, mm. right? Like, like, like the show must go on. Uh, and, and you know what? I would say this, if anybody has a, a, no excuse for the show to go on, it's a game, a, a grocery store game show in which the rules are entirely arbitrary, right? It's sort of like, it's, it's the opposite of what you would think, right? It's, it's that you might think of two human endeavors, one of which is terribly serious and highly dependent on other causes, and, and the consequences of not doing it would be very dire. And you might say, like, well, that show needs to go on, right? And you might think of something that's utterly trivial, right, and that doesn't really hugely apply to you know, the survival of a human being and in a time of great suffering is merely a kind of small balm. And you might think, like, well, that's the thing that we could sacrifice, except you don't gain anything from sacrificing it, and the people who are doing it aren't going to be doing anything else, right? And so, like, I mean, yes, they do other things. They have lives. They have families. They have businesses. They have other things that they're working on and stuff. But, like, but but there's a, there's a just, I think there's an argument to say that stuff like Guys Grocery Games, the show should go on. Because because what is this obstacle to you? Why is the fact that the world, you know, nobody can leave their house or whatever, if, if we're thinking about this in the most extreme situation, why is that an obstacle to you when the rules of your show are entirely arbitrary? And so I really do appreciate, much like, and it really just reminds me of, you're at Model UN, right? You haven't prepared. Somebody is talking about, you know, the, the, extradition, uh, the extradition positions of, North African countries, they don't know what they're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. But, like, ultimately, you came to a second or third tier high school model UN conference. So, like, stop whining about how nobody knows what they're doing and just play the game, right? Just play the game. And so I know that's a bit more of a rant, and I've eaten up some kudos time that might be used for others. 
But the willingness of guys grocery games to continue to just play the game, despite there being no contestants, no grocery store, <laughs> which is like the entire point of the game. I just I just they're at the point where instead of doing like a supermarket sweep at the end, they just spin a wheel and you might just win zero dollars. And and it's but it's showmanship, right? Ooh, they've got it. You get if you win a round, you get the envelope of opportunity. And if you lose a round, you get the the package of pain. Uh, and, and in the last episode I watched, the envelope of opportunity was a thousand dollar donation to a charity of your choice. And the package of pain was a jar of pickled pig's feet that you had to either eat or incorporate into a dish. Nice. <laughs> So it's just there's a lot of meta arguments here about what makes a show, right? It's like, well, what is guy what is guys grocery games doing in the absence of grocery and absence of games in order to continue to be guys grocery games? And there's just all these little elements of of show and of familiarity and of collegiality. Uh, I don't I'm not going to say that it's like that they that if you are looking to adjust a project or a show because of COVID, you should do what guys grocery games is doing. Because it might not work for you, and it's certainly not flawless. It's very flawed. Uh, but but I do really appreciate it because part of what I love about guys' grocery games is when the strings show, right? And you know, oh, this person competing for the money is going to donate it to charity because they own a whole chain of successful restaurants. And this person working for charity like has a daughter with spina bifida and like is living in a trailer. Right? Like you really should give the money to one of them, but you know what? We're going to judge it based on their peanut butter sandwiches. And there's just something about the way that that works with relation to the world. And it doesn't get that extreme, but like, you know what I mean? I, I do love it. Um, and I, and I find joy in it and I give kudos to the fact that they haven't given it up due to situations that would inter that interrupt many things, but not nonsense. So there you are. That's my kudos to guys. Grocery Excellent. Games I, Pete, I think we should, we should sort of take on some of the wisdom. I mean, despite contrary to your suggestion that uh, not every show need do what Guy's Grocery Games has done to uh, have done what the games have done to, uh, you know, make themselves sort of COVID friendly or at least COVID possible. But I think we should just spend the podcast describing the podcast that we were uh, you know, that that we are making and, and that uh, people can decide, they can judge us based on whether we convince them <laughs> that we have made the podcast which we purported to have made. Can we have a wheel? I feel like a, a wheel with the random slightly positive and slightly negative things um, we could, that we could spin would uh, would benefit our format greatly. Yeah, right. we'll, we'll think of that for next time. The, the, <laughs> yeah, definitely, the element of randomness could only could only help us. Um, I, I'm going to continue, and I guess my my kudos is my kudo is for um, uh, I I what I recommend, and I've done this in a couple different areas, is to take some small item that you use every day and not like not something that's hugely consequential to your work, not like a tool, you know, I don't know. I suppose if, if, if you're a carpenter, you should get the best tools that, that you can, the best tools that you can afford and that like are relevant to your, uh, to your work because like that's your livelihood and you should do it as best you can and your tool tools shouldn't let you down. But you know, um, something, something unrelated to, you know, your livelihood, something maybe a little more inconsequential, actually like a, a dinner napkin would be the perfect, um, would be the perfect sort of example of this, right? Like you probably buy them in a pack of 500 at the, the grocery store, but what if you bought like the best one that you could find, 
you know, and enjoyed that uh, rather than the the sort of commodity one, rather than going for the the bulk thing. And the uh, the particular item that I'm going to recommend is that you find what is for you the best pencil. And that you use exclusively, you get a sash of these. You use exclusively that uh, that pencil. Now you know you you I I I know you. I know what you think is going on here. You know I know uh, that you think I'm going to recommend the Palomino Blackwing 602. I you you guys. <laughs> I know I know you. I'm not. I'm not. Because that's not how I roll. I'm going to recommend that you get yourself a box of the Statler Norica number two pencils. They come in a box of, um, I think, 36. I think it's like uh, three rows of 12 or something like that. 36. And they... uh, they are pre-sharpened, which is always nice. Um, jet black, beautiful matte black uh, finish on the uh, on the pencil. Good eraser, eraser that doesn't kind of gum up or mess up your paper and leave uh, a lot of like. Um, I believe the technical term in the pencil biz is ghosting, and uh, they write they write fluidly, at least in my experience, and they they feel good in your hand. Um, you know, and uh, so I, you know, I have a a brand of notebooks that I like to use, and this is the pencil. This is, you know, I don't always write in pencil, but when I do, I uh, I prefer to write with the Statler Norica number two uh, wood case pencils, black thirty six pack. Uh, I'll put a link to those in in the show notes. Now I know you want to ask, well, Matt, what is your what is your pen of choice? To which uh, I would reply, well, what? Uh, a fountain pen or ballpoint? Obviously. That's obviously the next question. Uh, and the ballpoint, uh, the answer is the Pentel Rolling Writer, uh, which makes a nice thick line, a line reminiscent of a line you would get from a fountain pen, um, at least more reminiscent than like a Bic or something like that. And uh, and they're... They're a little they're a little clownish because they're slightly oversized. They're slightly too wide and they're made of pencils, so they feel like a kind of a plastic reproduction of like an executive pen set. But it actually it's good. It's it feels good in your hand, the slightly larger size compared to like a Bic or uh uh I'm trying to think of a different a different brand of pen. A, you know, a thinner thinner ballpoint um sort of feels good feels good in your hand you don't have to kind of grasp it as tight your hand can be freer as you uh as you make your penmanship so pens and pencils that's my uh that's my pick here um for my first tiny delight you know so matt a couple follow-ups yeah one is that we talked about this um we have to uh uh, up our game in our conversations with Big Pen and Big Pencil so they can sponsor the show. Oh, right. We can't just, like, hawk their products uh, for free without any exchange. Okay. The second thing is, perhaps more importantly, though, is can you talk us through your decision tree for whether you're taking notes in one of your fancy notebooks uh, with your very deep thoughts um, with pen or pencil? Well, it's it's generally it's generally what I have to hand. I mean, a meeting notes kind of thing will be pen uh for sure pencil is for like if you're designing something or if you have something where you think there's going to be a lot of crossing out or a lot of like um 
a lot of erasing now you know now everything is online so it doesn't it doesn't matter but like back in the day it was a little bit like is there um am i drawing a network diagram or something where i may mm. need to like erase a uh, a portion of it to like actually accommodate some more nodes on the network or something something like that 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 would be a a, a pencil um sort of case whereas a pen case is just more like uh more like am i just recording something uh where there's not likely to be a lot of like going back to correct myself yeah back back when we went to offices i feel like a lot of those use cases were you know you have to like draw the diagram and and mm. uh, make erasers like like that that you know uh, uh the pencil became um replaced by the dry erase by the mm. dry erase uh, whiteboard right yeah, I, I mean, mean I, I, you know, I, would, I would offer that up as a kudo, as like kind of a small pleasure, as like you know, I actually got one installed at home, courtesy of my new employer. Um, oh wow! Uh, and it's it's awesome. I love it. Um, well, you have a home dry erase board. That's rad. Yeah, yeah, I do. You should try it. I th- wow, home dry erase board. That's a, that would be a big upgrade to my to my little cubby here that uh, that I use as an office. Um, we have we have like three of four of them, I think, but they're. They're great gym accoutrement for home gyms. I highly recommend dry erase boards for home gyms uh, so you can write your workout on it. And that way, when you're exhausted and oxygen deprived, you can remember what it is. Do you just remember, do you just write uh, AMRAP like in Sharpie or something and then like uh, just fill in whatever you're doing? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Because sometimes things are for time and sometimes things are are EMOM, uh, but that would be pretty funny. Um, no, 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 we don't, we don't deface our whiteboards with permanent marker. We, we only dry erase. That's so, so this is funny. I was very big on, uh, on the chalkboard, um, over the permanent marker when I was, because it seemed so much more New Englandy when we were in college. I really, you know, and I liked that at least the literature, the English and the literature classrooms tended to be equipped with, uh, the chalkboards versus, uh, versus dry erase boards. And they were like, even the ones with the, like the many leveled, you know, the, like the three level chalkboards where you can send a, a chalkboard up into the stratosphere or something when you're done with it. Like, uh, imagine, imagine being so rich. Imagine having an endowment big enough that you can just throw your chalkboards away. Um, that like, uh, they were always cleaned <laughs> every night, which is another, uh, Another sort of thing that seems unbelievably luxurious at this particular time. All right, that is mine. That's mine. Uh, Mark, you you take over from here. Okay, I got something that you will definitely appreciate, Matt. I think we've actually talked about this before. Um, it is the technology junk drawer or junk box, mm. uh, especially when it totally delivers and it gives you the thing that you need, or at least like uh, helps solve yes. a, a yes. relatively minor problem that. that um, that gives you a joy that is uh, roughly commensurate with what we're talking about here. Okay, so let me talk about my technology drunk drawer, right? Um, it's uh, stuffed full of just, like, the most random crap, like, particularly old cables that I just cannot bear myself to to throw out. Adapters, um, what else is there? There's a, a, a DVD drive that I extracted from a MacBook laptop and have lying around in case, like, once every three years I need to <laughs> read a DVD on a computer, 
Um, stuff like that. Yeah, but right? that time it's going to be crucial. It's going to be like yes. your your tax return is only available in that format or something. Right. right. Okay. So you've got this like junk drawer box or what have you, and it's taking up an enormous amount of space. Right. And you know, every once in a while, you know, uh, the the spirit of Marie Kondo speaks to you in Japanese, and she's telling you to evaluate all the crap you got lying around and see if it sparks joy or not. And then uh, inevitably. Um, the time comes to evaluate the junk drawer, and oh, of course it sparks joy, right? I mean, like if if you're even questioning that Marie Kondo, just like go just go find something else um, to, to 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 evaluate your tidiness and all that kind go, of stuff. Go um, find so, yourself, Marie Kondo. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so okay, this is not the cool cast. I'm not cool about Marie Kondo and Kondoism. Um, uh, but uh, you know, so the technology junk drawer is is you usually interface with it when you're throwing something into it, right? Um, a, a, a frequent thing is like whenever you get a new gadget and it's got a new the charging brick or like, you know, a, a pair of headphones, um, well, like you're, you're not going to use this because you never needed it to begin with, but you throw it into the junk box because you never know, right? You never know when you're going to need that sucker. Um, but recently, okay, so uh, it, it really delivered and this is how, how so. So now I have um, in the world of uh, incredible first world problems, I have three computers, in my home office, not one, not two, but three, and I use them all regularly. Okay, so I got one, which is like the the main um, kind of personal computer, which I'm recording this podcast on. I've got the work laptop, which is uh, you know used for work and only for work, and I've got uh, the gaming PC, which I put together recently, which I, I discussed on this uh, on this podcast. Um, I have one monitor um, with one uh, you know set of, of, of keyboard and mouse. Right. And the dilemma that was presented to me with a recent edition of these new computers was, well, how do I kind of switch all this stuff over very quickly um, when I'm switching computers? Because, you know, one, you don't want, you need um, redundant crap uh, on your desk. Um, the keyboard and mouse problem was, was solved pretty easily with like a USB hub and just kind of, you know, take the plug and just you know, stick it into your computer uh, one at a time. So that's all good to go. Um, the monitor, though, presented an interesting challenge, though, right? Because you really don't want to, like, you know, have to crawl behind the desk and constantly, you know, you know, pull pull it out from from the PC, get the the gaming PC underneath the desk, and then have to, you know, switch it up top and then crawl under and put it down below and everything like that. No, 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 no. That, that's not what we do here. What I did was that I found uh, I had just like the, the perfect combination of things for this, right? I got a monitor that has three separate types of inputs, right? Display port, mini display port, and HDMI. Uh, and I had uh, three computers that all could receive those. And yes, the cable that I needed, the MIDI display port, two display port cable to mm. complete this perfect trifecta was just sitting there waiting for me in the junk drawer. Perfect. And it had been waiting there for a solid, I don't know, let's call it three years, waiting for its time to come and deliver this small little modicum of joy into my life. And, uh, and, and and it just it felt so good to 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 find it to plug it in and know that it worked and just like to have this this little uh little bit of chaos solved it had to be just so mark god god bless you a and b i'm going to quote from a little film called the big lebowski a little film called the big lebowski i won't say hero cuz what's a hero but sometimes there's a man <laughs> and i'm talking about the dude here sometimes there's a man well He's the man for his time and place. And Mark, you are that you are that man. And God bless you for you were absolutely vindicated. Uh, and my own like plastic 
bin junk drawer of technology uh debt for this like uh, i feel vindicated by uh by your story there so so bless you bless you sir and thank you did you have a good find from it recently um yeah well uh, so i i upgraded my computer i'm actually recording podcasts on the on the new mac for for the first time um i upgraded and uh i needed a thunderbolt thunderbolt 2 to uh ethernet um ethernet adapter and uh, lo and behold i had not one but two in the uh in the in kind of different geologic layers thunderbolt 2 to ethernet yeah, I needed an Ethernet adapter that plugged into that plugged into the Thunderbolt, the old Thunderbolt on the because my last computer mark was a um, a 2012 MacBook Pro because I I was not there was no way uh, that these fingers were going to type on the uh, on the butterfly switches of the of the you know ultra thin. Uh, MacBook, the the one that we're just like yeah. keys, random random keys fail. I actually that, that's, that's uh, beyond quibble, by the way. That's like a serious problem. Yeah, it was, a lot no, is it if if you're <laughs> but if your work involves typing things in your keyboard, like your spacebar doesn't work, you're really hamstrung. Just, and quick side of, note by that, Taika Waititi, as part of his like Oscar reception speech follow up, not the thing he did on the stage, but backstage when they interviewed him a little bit more. Use that precious time to call out Apple Computer and their keyboards. Yeah, it was not a. It was not the the greatest choice. Now, now that I actually got the, uh, I got a desktop. I got, I got a Mac Mini, um, which, by the way, I mean, you kind of have to take it apart. And and because I say it like you, Mark, I save these things forever. I have like a full set of Torx screwdrivers, including the security ones, so I can disassemble. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine came in handy recently yeah. as well, too. Yeah. I can disassemble a, a, a whole Mac Mini, which I did because you have to take the thing off, uh, disconnect the the antenna assembly, right? Like, pull it out of its... Uh, disconnect the fan, I think, and the power supply. Pull the thing out. Remove the protective cover over the RAM, and then the RAM becomes user serviceable. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just saying I got the the max ram for about you know 15 percent of the prices it would have been if i had bought it uh first party but but anyway i did that uh did that recently and along with this i ended up i've wanted for a while a nice mechanical keyboard so i got myself a uh a moderately fancy mechanical keyboard uh cherry mx browns uh in case anyone is interested in the particular switch and uh and it has uh, led lighting that does backlighting but it also has a um also has a you know kind of light around the side uh so that it creates a kind of a halo of light can do uh like disco patterns there's like a rainbow that will kind of sweep across the oh i'll put a video in the show notes of this episode but i'm sorry i'm talking out of turn and i apologize i just got very very excited by mark's technology junk drawer pete this legitimately this is is your time and uh, i'm sorry to (laughs) to have intruded upon it i yield the floor to you sir I mean, I would just add that once you have kids, even though we've only had kids for a little while, there's an extra dimension that gets added to your junk drawer needs, which is your battery needs. So I would advise you before uh, you, you know you you have a child. Although Mark, you probably have already experienced this. I don't know how many times you've run out of batteries for something important. I would even say that owning a house, as well as having a baby, both introduce new reasons that you need to have batteries unexpected ones, strange ones. So I would advise 
adding to your collection uh, batteries of the common sizes, which include now AAA, which they might not have when we were younger. That's uh, uh, that's really interesting. So, Pete, what are what is your battery setup? What I, is the battery setup? Yeah, and I, I asked this knowing that this could fully take the rest of the episode. No. <laughs> but like, what is the, what is your what is your uh, you know what is your system that you that you have arrived at for sort of battery provision? Well, we have two storage ottomans, uh-huh. right? And I have designated them the media ottoman, and one of them is our tech is our what we basically describe our tech junk drawer. But I have I have a big tech junk drawer tub in my storage closet, which contains components of the last computer I broke down, along with a bunch of leftover cables and components from other things over the years that might prove useful at one point or another. Um, and so I, but we also in this, in this one storage ottoman, I keep all the cables. So if you're looking for a particular cable of a particular kind, you can look in the storage ottoman and in there is also a labeled, uh, freezer bag that's full of batteries and the batteries are then turned in Ziploc bags within the freezer bag, uh, or in their boxes. If, if you've bought them in bulk and there's still enough left that they're in a box, uh, and they're sort of nested in their types within, it's sort of like, have you, uh, in fact, I'll even, I'll even, uh, I'll even um, uh, use this to seamlessly transition. Uh, Have either of you played the board game Wingspan? No, sir. No. I, I will take this opportunity to give kudos to the board game Wingspan uh, for something very specific. So Wingspan is in, is a, I would, I would frame it as an independent board game, even if it were made by Standard Oil itself. Because it exudes indie energy more than Harrison Ford losing his hat, right? It is it is an indie it is indie AF in terms of its overall feel. It, it is belongs board, in a museum, Pete. Uh, yes, yes, it does. In <laughs> fact, it is too precious for a museum. It, it belongs in a bird sanctuary. It is a board game about building a bird sanctuary where there is a deck of over well over a hundred different authentic North American birds. Uh, I think are they North American? All in the, there's like there's like the European expansion. There might be some ones from other biomes that you can get, but but the the idea behind the game is that it's that nothing gets murdered. Well, I guess there are predatory birds that eat rats, but uh, but but there's no like shooting the other team or anything. You're competing to try to arrange and manage the resources in your bird sanctuary so that you have a maximum number of points, which are accrued from the birds that you're able to get to nest in your sanctuary, the eggs that they lay. Uh, the various sorts of challenges and mini goals that you achieve over the course of the game, and then also the sort of sub goals for the birds, which might be to accumulate food, accumulate prey if they're a predator bird, things like that, and you compete. And, and the thing that you will immediately notice about the board game Wingspan, and I again, I recommend this. I played it a few times with my wife. Uh, we have a friend who also plays it. There's a digital version. We hope to play it against them soon. It is a game that is not, I would not describe it as the tightest strategic game ever in that some of the birds are much, much better than others. But that's also something of a, of a benefit because it is really hard in Wingspan to repeatedly play the same strategy over and over again and thus beat another player who doesn't know the strategy because you don't know what birds you're going to get off of the deck. So the deck of birds gives you a certain degree of randomness. But no, the thing that you really notice about the board game Wingspan is should be recognizable from what I just talked about with regards to collecting batteries. The, the, the physical objects associated with the game, you open up the box, right? And then there are so many little plastic bags. I mean, there's a real Cones of Dunshire thing going on with like, 
there's egg tokens and there's food tokens and there's bird cards and there's gold cards, you know, and, and then you've got everybody's got a You've got the dice that have different kinds of food on them. There's a little cardboard bird feeder that you get to put together and that you that you use to roll the bird food dice, right? And there's all these little trays. So there's there's little plastic trays that you're supposed to line out. Each one's about two and a half inches by two and a half inches. And you line them all up and you can put the different eggs in them or the different food in them. And everybody's eggs are different colors and every and all the different there's five different kinds of food. But all of it has this wonderful, like precious tactile feel. Right. It all feels quality. It, it's like I've, I've talked before about how I don't remember the name of the guy from Bar Rescue. It is John Tapper is the guy from Bar Rescue. Right. And it is not Jake John Tapper or Jake Tapper or, or any of. No, it's John Tapper, not Jake Tapper is the guy from Bar Rescue. I always remember this one episode of Bar Rescue where he talked about why your chairs should make noise when you move them. And that way you can charge more for drinks. Perceived value. Right, which is the reason that Chrysler doors always close very solidly uh, and then fall off. Um, but no, 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 it's not, <laughs> not quite so bad. But the idea is like the little, the little objects are so finely crafted. The pictures of the birds are so detailed and nice. The the instruction manuals are on. I don't know whether it's like a low acid paper, plastic, something. Like the texture of reading the instruction manuals to the game Wingspan is itself a pleasurable experience. Um, and it, it feels so frou-frou in this respect, right? It is just a shamelessly luxurious board game. But but it, but at this point, I don't even know if it feels luxurious anymore because, you know, luxury and wealth are so sort of technological and technologically oriented at this point. I don't think it's a tremendously expensive board game. In fact, I'm going to look up how much it costs right now. Um, but what I'm th talking about is like stacked little plastic bags containing precious specific things that can't be mixed with each other within larger plastic bags nested within a box that also has a plastic organizer inside of it. Right. And it's, it's like, and it's, it's, everything is just so it's like, it's like high tea at the Ritz with regards to the size and orientation of the pastries. Right. It is like, it is, it is just this nice, precious, lovely little thing. And I'm trying to figure out how much it will cost because if it's really expensive, I'll tell you not to buy it. Um, uh, board game cost. How much does it cost? Uh, oh bucks, man, right? it's pretty expensive. What's up? Fifty bucks. Oh, fifty bucks. That's not so bad. That's not. Yeah, so bad. we'll put a we'll put a link in the show notes for the yeah. for this ep episode. Go, and go. It has, wingspan. It has a, Spread your it has, wings. Yeah, yeah. It has a degree of strategic depth. But what I really wanted to praise about it is it's very clear that they knew that the people who would want a board game that has more than a uh, hundred some odd different authentic birds in it would also appreciate a nice box for the board game. Because what is the part of the board game you interact with the most? The box. The box is on the shelf all the time. The board game maybe comes off the shelf on average like once a year, right? like uh, like per each board game that you have up there, uh, if it's lucky, right? So like the box, having a good box is really special. Um, and I think that I will say in an even deeper sense, in these times of kind of disjarring, disjointed terror, right? Like fear, uh, the, the, the real kind of deep psychological sense that, that nobody is going to help you is I think a, a, a sort of, a, a kind of existential fear in this time of like, at least in the United States where there's just been such huge lapses in leadership that it just really feels like the people who ought to be helping out really aren't. And that's something that you can say a lot of the time in various degrees, but it feels very, very palpable in ways that usually doesn't right now. Um, like, like the, like 
my my wife turned to me and is like, well, what can we do to establish some more control, right? And and she wasn't even speaking in grand terms. It was more about like, how do we keep a clean house when we have a baby, right? Which is just a crazy problem, right? Uh, how do you even deal with that? But also at the same time, if you can maintain just a little bit of it, it can help your sanity. Like like tiny, I, I feel like there's, I don't know, it makes me go back to the book, The Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, right? Tiny little interactions with quality give you, I think, a, a sense of sensibility or a sense of sense, a sense of sensefulness, right? Uh, that, that can be a real psychological weapon and also an opportunity to kind of down-regulate and appreciate something that was made because it wanted you to feel valued, right? And because it wanted you to value it. Uh, and, and even whether it was made by you or played by you, I don't know. I just feel like there's something in a really nice board game instruction manual, which is not something you have to do, but something you can choose to do. This is like the exact opposite of guys' grocery games, by the way, which is like, if you're making nonsense, you know, like onward, forge ahead, be fearless, right? Whereas if this, it's like, well, if you're making something that's, that you could make nice, like, why not make it nice, right? Uh, it might help somebody at a time when they, when they need something that in their fingertips just feels right. right? I, Pete, I sang once for a choir, choir director who said, well, if you, what, uh, Sopranos, why not make it beautiful? <laughs> and I was like, I thought, I always thought that was so good because it's like, oh yes, now that you mention it, um, this other, uh... I mean, I mean, like unpack that a little bit more. Like, was that done in a kind of a passive aggressive, like dickish way? <laughs> sort of like just, just like anything as that's like, not uh, passive aggressive. Oh god, I mean, not not even the the. This was a teaching choir, so there were some like. Uh, there was some sort of sassy conducting students who thought they were hot poop and, uh, you know, like, uh, altos, how about, how about, uh, you know, sound, uh, sound, uh, a little more like, uh, angels here and not so much like cows and pigs. Like, <laughs> you know, it was like, wow, you know, the, the, we're, we're going to go to the bar afterwards and, and talk poop about you behind your back. Um, that was not a nice conducting student, but, but, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was, I suppose, sort of passive, passive aggressive. Um, but the, the, I mean, the point, the point actually was sort of like what, what Pete's saying, which is that like a thing, a thing worth doing is worth doing well. Right. Like that, that, that great little bit of gym teacher wisdom there that, you know, if you're going to make the effort, you know, why not make the, the 5% extra effort to get, you know, a 50%, you know, marginal increase in, in, um, you know, your enjoyment or the, the, uh, the value of this thing. And, and like, I think to a certain ex extent, this particular choir director, she was onto something with this, with this idea. Her other greatest hit for me was, uh, talking to a section like you all have to change your mind about what the pitch should be at that moment. Um, <laughs> and that like, and you know what, like that is totally true, especially if you're singing and so much of it is kind of like a head game, like what, what you think you're doing your sense of your, I guess, unless you're like listening to, um, I don't know when you guys podcast, do you listen, do you monitor your own audio in your headphones while, while we do that? Well, no. while we do this, that, that is the technically correct radio broadcasting thing to do. I don't do it, do it either, but it, it would reveal to you, you know, I don't know, bad mic technique or sort of problems with, the. Uh, 
you know, you could have told me this t- ten years ago. <laughs> Maybe these all of these would have been better. Yeah, but Pete, I don't do it. I, I don't do it either. Like it's <laughs> it's super because it's a it's a learned thing. But and but when so when you're talking when you're singing by yourself, um, your sense of what you're doing is imperfect, right? Like uh, your sense of your intonation is imperfect. Your sense of um, you know, uh, certain things about articulation and stuff until you learn what it feels like. Um, like you're, you're just, your intuitions about these things are wrong. And so saying like, change your mind about what the pitch should be there is actually a very, was a very astute, uh, astute observation, um, in, in the sense that like your own perceptions are, are likely to be, um, to be unreliable, but this is Pete. This is why I, you know, uh, this is why I, I go for the, for the nice pencils, you know, like, um, and not only the ones that feel good, but the ones that look good sitting in the cup, because to your point there, you know, you're going to pull it out like, uh, you know, for 10, 15 minutes, three times a week. Right. But like, it's going to sit there every day, uh, of your life. And like, why not, why not sort of, put things around you in your environment that are, that are sort of meant, you know, to increase your sense of value and well-being and, and uh, all of that good stuff. Right. Right. For sure. Especially if they're the kind of little things where, you know, it's not, it might, it might, it might cost you a little bit, but it's not going to toss you like a ton of money. Right. Like, yeah, just no, because, no, no, I'm not yeah. saying I'm not saying yeah. like I'm not saying like instead of driving your car, you should drive a Mercedes. <laughs> yeah. right? No, that's not what we're talking <laughs> no, about. Not, right. Like the marginal the cost of this board game other or over other board games is like significant proportionally, but not really in absolute terms. <laughs> like it's not like a car. Right. It's not like a uh, yeah. It's not like I'm actually buying a bar stool um, <laughs> that that costs two hundred and fifty three hundred dollars. Yeah, each yes, yeah, that that is so. Uh, um, that is so interesting. All right, I'm I'm gonna go to uh, to an entertainment, um, an entertainment themed one. Now I've talked about my uh, my beloved cracking the cryptic, which I found on my own. But Pete, I think you were a hip to that YouTube channel before I was. Um, and, uh, I, I really have enjoyed in this time watching, I think I recommended them when we did a, uh, when we did an, an episode similar to this early in our, um, semi-isolation pandemic, uh, oriented semi-isolation or posi, um, the, uh, the, just the good that is wrought upon my soul by watching, affable british men solve sudoku on a youtube channel makes makes me believe that the uh that the world is comprehensible and that um you know everything is everything is okay uh but then pete turned me on to another thing uh that i as an american can get on youtube and that is the the british game show only connect ah you're going to talk about only connect yeah nice. I'm, I'm going to give it i'm going to give it some kudos um yeah it's a a british show it's a quiz show um it's on uh i actually don't know what channel it's on maybe it moved it, it depends it depends on when you're watching it yeah maybe uh, one of the bees bc um right. and that like uh that uh so it's uh, it's two teams uh answering sort of quiz questions uh it's hosted by a woman named Victoria Corin Mitchell who is a writer uh and i just learned from wikipedia a professional poker player yes uh, she's the only uh, or the, rather the first player 
uh, or the first woman to win an event on the European tour, um, the first player to win both a televised professional tournament and a televised celebrity tournament, and the first player to win two European Poker Tour main events uh, in 2006 and 2014. That is, uh, uh, I, I did not know that. So, uh, Victoria Corn Corn Mitchell, but for, for the purposes of this, she is a sort of slightly, slightly cheeky kind of, uh, sarcastic, uh, just the right amount of jokey. It's not the, it's not the way overbearing jokiness of wait, wait, don't tell me on NPR. It's not, it's not zany. It's just a little, it's just, there's just a little wildly in quip every, every now and again. And the, the format of this show is that you have to determine the connection between a series of, of, um, between a, a series of clues and you get more points, the fewer, uh, clues you need to discern the the connections. So here is a real um, set of clues from Only Connect, uh, and the clues are two things, and you have to figure out what uh, what connects this series of potentially four clues. I guess Pete, I I uh, did this one on Slack with you. So Mark, I guess you're playing. Whether whether you want you're you're in some involuntary game show here, <laughs> whether whether you want or not. But um, but I I I uh, I got this one, so uh, I felt good about it, and so I'm I'm telling other people about it. Um, uh, okay, Mark. Clue one: Back to the Future, ninety nine minutes. Now, if this were if this were um, the real game, you could ask for another clue or you could guess, at which point you only have one one chance to guess. Uh, okay, so I'm going to ask for another clue. Okay, please. got it. Um, the King's Speech, 99 minutes. But we're not we're not going to kick you off if if you we'll we'll keep going if you don't if you don't get it. So your clues are back okay, to the right, future keep, 99 keep, keep minutes. Going. All right. That, those are my two clues. Those are your two no, clues so far. Back to the future 99 minutes. King's Speech, 99 minutes. Singing in the Rain, 68 minutes. Uh, uh, what? And this is where oh. Victoria Corin Mitchell would go, five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it uh, the, the runtime in the movie before they say the, song, the title? Close and oh. and like Victoria Corin Mitchell, uh, I can grant you the point. Discretion, I can, <laughs> I, I have discretion to grant you the point. So that's you get two points for this because you got it after three clues. Uh, it's the not not when they say the title, uh, but, but uh, when the thing has the title happens. Yes, exactly. Right, and, because they say Back to the Future in Back to the Future roughly about the one third mark. Yeah, I they believe. do. We've got to get you back to the yeah. future. But when he yeah, goes yeah, back yeah. to the future, when the King's speech, and then the fourth clue would have been when Harry met Sally, uh, four minutes. Now, I thought this was uh, particularly nice. good. Yeah. I, I was primed to get this one. And by the way, both teams missed this one. And I got it. Uh, I was pretty sure on the second clue, and I was definitely sure on the third clue. So I, like you, Mark, I would have gotten two points for this, uh, for this answer. N- neither team actually got it, but we are primed to because overthinking it is the originer, originator of the concept of the ghost ship moment, <laughs> which is when the characters in the movie uh, realize the thing that you know because you've read the title and seen the poster of the movie. Um, and so this is this is a sort of ghost, kind of a variety of ghost ship moment, which is when the 
the the title event occurs and it's just it's just like that and it's very you know uh so as an american uh you can youtube search and there are a lot of them up on youtube i'm actually not even sure i looked at the british centric the anglophilic streaming services and and uh it's impossible to get i was about to go examine the backs of trucks to see if i could get uh, some of these, but I, Pete, uh, Pete gave it to me and I just like, again, like something about like the connection between things, a hidden order to the world, the idea, uh, that the world, that life is comprehensible is, um, you know, uh, sort of appealing to me in these, uh, in these unprecedented yeah. TM times. Pete, what, what were your thoughts about this when you, uh, when you recommended it to me. I, I think that Victoria Corin Mitchell is an all-time great game show host. Uh-huh. She is a game show host unlike any other game show host I've ever seen game show host, and she is so good at it. Uh-huh. And it and it is partially because the show is so extreme, because this clue that you gave, you know, it sounds pretty challenging. Um, it's one of the easy, like, oh, no, the that's, clues yeah, get extremely that's a, hard. Yeah, that's a like, Monday New York Times crossword of a clue for this particular yes. show. Yeah, and the show gets, I mean, it gets to the point where the, the clues, I mean, a lot of them are also very British, so it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell how hard it is because a lot of it involves celebrities that we don't know about. And yeah, or, never or pol- political people Political or figures, yeah. footballers, cricket players, things like that. Um, but it will be like, oh, is this the last name of a cricket player? Is it the name of a street in Scotland? Is it the name of a boat? Like, I don't know, right? And, and oh, it's none of those things. It's like, actually, if you look in the middle three letters, it's the uh, months of the year, right? Um, it'll be all sorts of things. But but her combination of restraint and sort of and continence with her flexibility and her kindness and her humor right it's like it's like it's it's really each each one of these sort of tugs in a slightly different direction because she holds this very she holds this manner that is very well it's very posh in a certain degree but it's also very self-serious and and sort of the thing that we're doing here is is serious and challenging and difficult uh, and it's very difficult. And the people who are here are impressive people. And I'm an impressive person. And I'm not even really joking when I say that, right? Uh, but she she wouldn't say it like this, right? It would be all in the it would all be in the restraint, and it would all be said, you know, in a very calm voice. And it's all you can. The, her being a world class poker player is really uh, accentuated by the degree which she always keeps her composure no matter what happens. And so the show is sort of very serious. And it's very tough. And in that sense, it's very interesting and challenging. But she also makes jokes that are legitimately very clever and funny. Uh, and But she doesn't make them a lot. And and there's no laughter. There's no studio audience. So it, it just sort of sits there, right? Um, it, you know, it just it just sort of sits there. Uh, and, uh, and But then also she's, she's flexible. She can give you the point if you think you're close, if she thinks you're close enough, which happens sometimes. And of course... A lot of these clues have open-ended sorts of answers. It's hard exactly to say what you mean. Uh, you don't. You know, it's not going to be the kind of thing where you're going to say exactly what it is. It might be. Um, what was one that I saw today? It was all songs by artists who had "Doctor" in the name that they performed under. Oh, so it was like "Doctor Dre," "Doctor Feelgood," but all you heard were clips of the songs, right? And so, like wow. someone, someone, but someone buzzed in and just said "Doctor," right? And it's like I'll give you that, right? You like, like, like that. You she could tell from the fact that you said doctor that you figured out that it was the name of the artist and not the name of the song, right? Uh, she didn't require you to say the whole thing all the way out, 
but also she might ask for a little bit more. You get the sense that she actually knows the answers to the questions, which is not always the case with game show hosts. And because she knows them, she's able to adjudicate them. But also she just, she just let, she's also just nice to them when they lose. She's nice. I mean, she's bitter and acerbic and, and she definitely has a, a sharp wit. But and, and she can. But she's not. Be, a, but she's Ooh. not unkind. No, no. And it's it's it, it reminds me of Bob Barker in that, in that respect. Ah. And that like Bob Barker is always betting on you to win. Bob Barker always wants you to win the show. Right. And that's I, right? It's, it's funny. I watched uh, some Celebrity Family Feud recently. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch Family Feud in Africa? It was amazing. No, I, I, I didn't. I, I watched. Uh, <laughs> I, I watched uh, Steve Harvey and 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 Joel McHale have a like a a you know kind of like a sarcastic joke off I guess right. but like you know yeah it's it's not a given in a, in a game show host that they're going to be nice to you when you're not good at the game right 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 sometimes they'll just be merciless uh, uh, right and uh, and sometimes that's funny and sometimes it's okay right. Um, but that's another thing. As many of the, I mean, only Connect and Guys Grocery Games are as different as they could possibly be. But uh, but one thing that they have in common is that the host is nice to the contestants. Even though Guy Fieri, of course, makes them do arbitrary nonsense things, uh, he is ultimately kind to them. And at the end, he's always respectful to them when they're leaving and, and talks about how much he values them as people and, and encourages them in following their dreams and things like that. Well, that's Victoria a... Ford Mitchell doesn't go that far, but <laughs> <laughs> let me, uh, let me, um, well, let's, uh, that's a wonderful note to end on as we, uh, as we end on this, this, uh, as we end this podcast, I, you know, it, I don't mean it in a smarmy way. I think it's not, uh, I think it's definitely true. And probably for all of us that actually having the two of you, uh, with whom to do the show on a regular basis is one of those kind of like anchoring things that definitely brings a smile to my face and keeps me going uh, through the uh, uh, through the dark times that we are through the dark and interesting times that we are living through. So, you know, that's uh, I uh, I thank you. I uh, appreciate you. I value you as people um, as as we go. And we value you listeners as well. Also, uh, each of you individually as people and uh, are glad that you um are glad that you tune in. You don't turn in that you download week after week after after week. All right. So uh, leave your uh, tiny kudos, your um, like little things that are that are helping you that are getting you through like something uh, the opposite of the quibble cast from last week. Leave them in the comments. Uh, on the show notes, definitely always give, given how we're sort of indoors and given, uh, you know, definitely uh, interested in good activities or good um, things to watch or stuff that that uh, that you can that you can recommend and really would love uh, really would love to expand my knowledge of high quality pencils. So uh, if you have anything to say on that front, please uh, leave a comment on the show notes for this episode all right we'll be back next week with more overthinking your podcast until then visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it It probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve. Okay, one last only connect story. One last only connect story.
By the way, it's on BBC Two. It used to be on BBC Four. At the beginning of like the fourth season or series or whatever or something, one of the things about Only Connect that's kind of whimsical is that you pick a category in the first round and the second round, but the categories, they don't mean anything. It was just Greek letters, right? Alpha, beta, you know, zeta, whatever. And so at the beginning of like the fourth season, Victoria Corn Mitchell is like, well, you know, uh, we've we've kept some of the things, all of the things that you're familiar with and like we've kept. We had complaints about one thing, which we've changed. Some of you have said you don't like the Greek letters that we use for the categories. You find them pedantic or uh, pretentious, meaningless. Some have even deigned to call us silly. And here we take our feedback very seriously. So I will please ask the first member of the first team to choose your Egyptian hieroglyph. <laughs> and they changed in response to the complaints that the Greek letters were like unnecessarily pedantic and stupid and pretentious. Uh, and they changed them to Greek hieroglyphs. So now for every season subsequently, when you want to start the game, you'll say uh, the twisted flax, please. The, the horned viper, please. The horned viper. Yes. <laughs> the two reeds. <laughs> It's delightful.